Welcome to the Embodiment Podcast. This show is for you if you see the body as more than a brain taxi. It's for people interested in coming home to the body as a holistic aspect of who we are and how we live. Episodes contain practical tips, exercises you can take away, and interviews with specialists from around the world. I'm your host for today, Mark Walsh. So the show today, Liz Cook. So Liz Cook has been working with the SOAS for 43 years. Um, she is an international author, written several books on the SOAS, somatic educator, as a system called Core Awareness. She's also a conceptual artist, has bags and bags of experience with the SOAS, particularly in somatics in general. So Liz, welcome. Hey, thank you, Mark. So how did you get interested in the body? What was the beginning of your journey with this? Well, I have one. Uh, and that, that always helps. Um, but actually, I was a conceptual artist at the Boston Museum School of Fine Arts in the U.S. And uh, I was brought there not because I'm an artist, but because I happened to have a show there. And they were very, um, uh, I think they were looking for someone who to stir the pot. And so the dean of the school asked me to teach. And um, so I was doing these. Uh, expression, what I would call expressions now, of rapping and in all kinds of mediums. And I was talking about uh, form as being something other than solid and rigid because it was an all-male sculpture department. And in that, I was influenced by people like Anna Halperin, um, who perceived dance and movement not as something happening on a stage, but happening in life. And so I was kind of in a happening state. Mm-hmm. And I happened to work one summer, uh, because I didn't teach in the summer, at, a, at a, an opportunity to meet someone who said, hey, just come down and do a little stretching down at the you know, river with me. And uh, I did a pigeon pose. But um, uh, what it brought up was that my, my perception changed. I have, a, I have a history of scoliosis, kyphosis, lordosis, and probably psychosis. But, um, but in all that, as a young woman, I didn't perceive my body as something that was going to change. I was looking at it on the outside as a biodynamic expression. And the minute my perception changed, intentionally, I went, oh, wow, I need more of this. And so I ventured looking for someone, not a dance class, not a movement class. And in those years, there there wasn't a lot out there. Um, and so I found Bob Cooley. And Bob Cooley wrote a book called The Genius of Flexibility. Uh, he hadn't written it then. But he came out of a dance background who was now doing really what's called human potential at that time, or mm-hmm. somatics now. And, and that was my entry into dropping the so-called conceptual art and making life conceptual art. Me, I'm, I'm the project. I'm the, I'm the art form. Hmm. And the psoas, where to begin? This is your, your specialist subject. Maybe like personally, what got you interested in this? Was there a particular moment or, you know, was it part of that journey? Yeah, it was part of that journey. Bob, Bob, when I entered into uh, his class, was recognizing that all movement comes from the spine out to the fingers and toes, to the extremities, and that he recognized that what, why dancers injure themselves was because of this core tissue called psoas. And so he was just entering, like exploring it. So we spent 
literally hours, um, not at the same time, but over, you know, three years, going into constructive rest, going into constructive rest, which is on your back, knees up, feet on your on the floor. Mm-hmm. And it's an intuitive position, but it was coined uh, by Lulu Schweigart and Mabel Todd in the 1930s as constructive rest. And it's not really so much, it is a rest position, but it's actually the construction part that's interesting because it, it allows our bones to land and to interact with gravity. And the minute it does that, what I call extraneous excitation, extraneous neurological excitation of this tissue we call psoas, starts to regulate. And it regulates because we're landed, because we're in our bones now. We, we know we're grounded. We know where, where we land and locate. And so that was my entry. He introduced me to the psoas. And for me, my personal experience with that was that when I really landed, I recognized, I was very young in my early 20s, and I recognized that I kept jumping up and thinking someone was at the door, someone's, you know, knocking, someone, the phone's ringing, because at that time there were phones, and um, something was happening. And it took me a while to realize there is nothing happening. So what, what moves me? out of constructive rest, to literally jump practically out of my skin. That's my journey into recognizing about the fear response and how terrified I was as a young woman. So you felt really contacted that fear in your body that was, was there. Yes, that moves us, that, 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 you know, where we react or we have this impulse. And later we think, what was that about? You know, but I, it was my interface between the sensory system and then I spent literally years, you know, entering that sensory system and marking or tracking different experiences within myself of sensation and what we think of as emotion and imagery and, you know, the stories, you know, but mostly cultivating the kinesthetic intelligence, the ability to actually nuance sensation. Let's start at the beginning then with the psoas. So if someone said, you know, just kind of what is it, where where would you begin with that? Well, I would begin with changing the language of body because anatomically it's considered a muscle, but it's uh, that is a, a, a false dogma. Mm. And so most people are under that as the impression of trying to understand psoas. So my life work has been to change the language, and I've been on this journey consciously for about 15 years or so and only now with my new book have i articulated it to the point because i think people are finally ready and publishers are ready to talk about changing the language of body so my language of body is so as is the very core tissue of your organism that it emerges out of what's called embryologically your midline or norticord or primitive streak central nervous system, and it is a fluid, juicy tissue, it's uh, filet mignon uh, in animals, and it is uh, what I call a messenger of the midline. I also call it an organ of perception, like the tongue. Mm. You know, it's, it's not a thing. It's not, a, I mean, it is a thing in the sense that you can parse the human organism and find so it, but it's not something you in fact, the more you can sense yourself, the more dysfunctional it is. It's very elusive. It's very much to me like um, an organ. You know, I don't go around sensing my organs unless I'm really focused in on them. 
um, or I'm, you know, Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, who has spent her life focusing <laughs> on sure, most on of us. <laughs> For most of us, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe right. harder than so much to pay. Right, but otherwise we don't go around, you know, sensing it all, uh, organs all the time until something's wrong. And then we go, oh, I have a stomach ache. Oh, what did I eat? Or what happened? Right. Or I'm upset. If you can or we go, oh, my kidneys are aching. <laughs> yeah, until there's a problem. So if you can sense your stomach, you probably have a problem with it. Okay. And let's just place it anatomically for people, because it does have this um, mysterious quality, you know, the deep core muscle. But I mean, it does, you know, it is anatomically somewhere quite concrete, right? So maybe you could just sort of talk people through uh, where it is anatomically. Yes, it's, um, it's literally the core of your being. So behind your navel. So if you look at the fetal curl or the primitive curl of a, a primal organism, um, and you're looking at that C-shape, and you're looking at where the umbilicus is, it's right behind that. It's along that midline. Uh, in the uh, biomechanical perspective, it, it uh, and I just want to say, people say it inserts into the 12th thoracic vertebrae, and I'd like to change the language of that because I tell people that if someone inserted your psoas, then that's the, you know, who was it? I'd like to know. Because no one inserted your psoas. It emerges out of your, uh, around the 12th thoracic vertebrae, possibly lower in your lumbar. And it uh, flows at a diagonal from the spine to the leg and uh, grows into the lesser trochanter, which if you know where your greater trochanter is on the outside of your hip, it's that big bone. And if you kind of visually track it, it's on the inside of the femur. So it goes from spine to femur. And it actually and it's connects. literally in the center. Yes. Right. And it's connecting to all these important things, right? Like it's connecting right up to the diaphragm and it's uh, uh, the lower back issues can be associated with it. So it kind of links into a lot of um, other issues and things with their people's breathing, people's fight flight response, back issues that might not be immediately obvious to people. Well, yeah, it's yes, everything no. uh, from, from an embryological point of view, everything comes from the midline. So, so all, you know, the kidneys float on the psoas, all organs are in front of the psoas. So it's responsive tissue. It, that's why I call it the organ uh, of perception that it's, it's, it's such lush fluid tissue and it's in the deepest bag of our connective tissue. So uh, what Sue Hitzman has defined as the neuro core. So the sympathetic neuro core of the connective tissue world is the deepest bag that includes your central nervous system, your psoas, your kidneys, and your adrenal. It is survival. No one can fix your psoas. Mm. Right? That's a mechanical model. That's a mechanistic view that you're a body with no soul and no center. But I think of the very center of your being from an embryological point of view. So... Uh, as Jaap van der Waal, an embryologist, the Dutch embryologist, uh, has articulated um, to me and to others, is that, you know, we're not made up of cells. Uh, we utilize cells to become. And the psoas is about self-actualization. Am I safe? Am I not safe? Am I coherent? Or am I not coherent? I mean, are you still talking about the muscle as it would be recognized by an anatomist or are you talking more metaphorically here now if I'm, I'm not quite clear i'm which paradigm talking you're about in. realistically i'm talking about in real time and space 
the anatomist is not real. That's why Jacques Vanderbilt says it's a false dogma. Anatomy is a construct. It's a mechanical construct that was overlaid the human organism. It doesn't really exist. It's a paradigm that we use. There's nothing real there. There's tissue, and you can parse that tissue, and you can name it whatever you want. And when they parse dry cadavers that were held in formaldehyde, they called it a muscle. But psoas is, is not a muscle as we think of external muscles about doing. It's about the core being of the human organism. As long as we look at body as an object, we have a problem because body is not an object. It's a living process. Yes. So so it's a living it. system. So, sure. Yeah. So we have to shift that conversation to the living system and then we can really understand. So otherwise people who are coming out of a mechanical model don't know what to do with the psoas. They think it's a problem. They think they need to fix it. And that's like saying what I tell my students is I'd like, I defy you to find a flower that you can make blossom by trigger pointing it, deep tissue work, massaging it, stretching it. You can't make a flower blossom that way. And you cannot make a human organism come into its fullness as a living system by antagonizing the psoas. <laughs> it's like poking a caterpillar. The only thing the psoas can do is curl and protect itself. So if people say, oh, such and such has got a tight psoas, they need to stretch it. I mean, that doesn't sound like that's your paradigm at all. No, because you don't under people don't understand what the psoas is telling us. That, that we have a tight psoas means that we think it's a thing that needs fixing. So you take it into somebody and have it fixed. If you understand you're a living organism and the psoas is what you perceive as tight, you might be looking at dryness, a lack of hydrating in the connective tissue. You might be looking at not a tight psoas or a short psoas. What you're looking at is an exhausted cell. So now when we think of exhaustion, we have to rethink what we do because we're not going to try to make it stronger. We're not going to try to stretch it. And nobody ends up stretching their psoas because one, if it's dry, you can't stretch dry tissue. It's not responsive. And two, psoas is more intelligent than that. It's doing something. It's actually a survival response. And so it's expression of survival is about safety and you can't stretch, palpate, trigger point, or massage that out of a person. You can only nourish a person to thrive. So thriving is what I'm really looking for. How do we thrive? And over 43 years, I've had this conversation numerous times. So it's something I'm very comfortable with in challenging our perception of body because it's, um, it is a, we are under the spell of uh, anatomy and um, unfortunately we haven't woke up yet so yeah, one I mean, of my goals is to wake us up about that and change the language of body i mean let me, let me read from your website here it says the psoas is not merely a muscle it's the primal messenger from the core of your being the biointelligent tissue expresses your integrity on every level and may be perceived as the guardian of the hara japanese word commonly referred to as the moving center located deep within your core your psoas is the source of internal inner power it feels like quite a lot to put on the psoas. And, you know, sometimes I hear this sort of muscle of the soul and these sort of semi-mystical terminology used for, uh, you know, a piece of meat that, that goes through the middle of us, which may be extremely important aspect of the fight-flight response. But, I mean, this seems an almost sort of mystical approach to it. 
I don't think so. I think that that's the way that people try to keep the a dogma alive and and their validation of looking at body as object uh, because they can't, they have their own issues. Um, well, I don't look so, at the body as an so, object. My entire career is based on, and life is based on body as process, you know, body as part of itself. So you, you're not hearing my challenge correctly, if that's how you hear okay. it. Okay, so let me, I hear, I, well, it, 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 yes, it is a piece of meat if you're, you know, eating psoas, but I would recommend never eating human psoas. Um, uh, <laughs> is it tastes better than filet mignon? <laughs> I had me, had me salivating. Let me put it that way. <laughs> so it's not juicy no enough. What about a really like someone that's done all the trauma therapy and really, you know, lived in a in a sort of uh, a Pacific island their whole life? Would they have a a tasty soas? Do you think? I I don't know. I don't know. I I, I kind of don't want to go down that path. It gets pretty creepy. But uh, you know, cannibalism is something we've been really trained not to think about. So um, the last so taboo. let me say that. <laughs> Sorry, Liz, I went down a side alley there, my bad. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. But it is part of the full body orgasm, so let me raise the bar here a little bit. I think you've got everyone's attention now. Your juicy psoas is about full body orgasm, as well as the fear response. So I'm all about nourishing uh, psoas, uh, not so much eating people, but, um, uh, but you know, the dynamic expressive psoas. So when we look at the organism as process, then we have to switch the understanding that it's not mystical. The people who coined it, this uh, muscle of the soul was the Taoist healers. Okay, so that's an Eastern philosophy, which mm. of course Western medicine poo-poo's, but we also know has a lot of validation. I mean, let's look, no, let's face it, you know, the Asians, the entire you know, Oriental philosophy understood without anatomy the inner organs of the body and their flows. I mean, you know, but they got something going on there. But um, so, so looking at it from that point of view, what that really means is that in anatomy, all tissue from the spine forward flexes and all tissue from the spine back extends. Therefore, so is it's a flexor. It's a flexing muscle. But that is a paradigm. If you change to the embryological paradigm, which is not woo-woo, but science, and you look at someone like the Dutch embryologist, Jaap van der Rohe, who was a, uh, you know, has all the credentials. He's an MD. He was a professor for many, many years. He just, you know, retired recently. And he worked, he taught anatomy to Olympic athletes for 10 years. And he tells me it's a false dogma that I don't feel like I'm going into uh, some vague conversation. We're talking about difference of paradigm. So the difference in the paradigm is that the embryological model is that the cells organize around an axis, and that axis is kind of your north and south pole. And that's where the psoas emerges out of. So yes, all tissue is wholly sacred. Um, you know, the expression of the organism is that. But we're really looking at a misunderstanding of psoas from being a messenger of the midline. In other words, it informs us of certain things. It informs us. Uh, it, it changes the way we look at body from an object to a process. So when someone shows up and they have a, a you know, they come to me because, hey, I know something about the psoas. Um, what I'm looking at is the process they're already in. Where is their core expression? So we change from looking at a structure to looking at the expression. And once you go to the expression, then it's easier to understand psoas within the context of this, what's called biomorphic movement. 
the, the expressions of all living systems. It's, it's part of that. So you have to change the paradigm to understand. So as long as you stay in the more anatomical way, it's, um, it doesn't fit in that paradigm. And I spent a long time because I'm not, you know, in the medical world, I'm not, you know, a therapist, um, in kind of understanding psoas. But I approached psoas through a somatic exploration, and I started to language it differently. And it was only when I sat at Yelp's kitchen table, and here's the scientist telling me about gesture. And I'm going, oh, I call it expression. I'm being validated for what I understand somatically by a scientist who says, when you change the paradigm and you use the embryological model, all of a sudden, psoas shows up as something of a kind of uh, informant. It's informing you. It's, hel- it's, it's relating you to land ground. And it's telling you, are you here on the earth in space and time? And that's proprioception. So it's very proprioceptively that's what it's informing us about. And if we stop thinking of it as a structure, because then we have to stop thinking of this final column as a column and recognize we have no columns, we have no floors, there are no you know, pelvic floors, there are no vaginal walls, there are no roofs of your mouth. Those are words that language object. Yeah, but they're not so based we have on to nothing, have... Liz. I mean, like, I think you're taking this argument far too far. I mean, like, I totally... <laughs> I, I mean, really, Sorry. As, Sorry. Like, I was like, yes, I, I really get that anatomy is cut out and anatomists create things by cutting them out. You know, you don't see, I've cut up dead bodies. I've cut up cadavers. And I, you don't see a neat biceps in the same way. So, um, but there's not nothing there. I mean, they're talking about something when they talk about the biceps, but let's just talk about another muscle that doesn't have the same mysticism attached right. to it. Like right. th- th- so there is something exists. going there on. Is a yeah, there is a psoas, but we defined it in a certain way. I think it's the same way with connective tissue. You know, for yeah. many years they took connective tissue out from the way, and now we're studying it. So if we studied psoas from a different paradigm, it's not that it doesn't exist, but you don't find its value by looking at dead cadavers. You look at its value by recognizing its expression. Because it's kind of like saying I can understand love by cutting my heart out or having an open heart surgery. I'll open my heart. Well, no, you won't. I mean, actually, it does kind of involve that, right? Because you have a death-like experience. But so is is more expressive than that. So, you know, you can have a tiny little woman dead cadaver who has a plump psoas and you can have a big, huge guy who has a little skinny psoas. Your tissue is shaped by what you do. So studying it in a dead cadaver only gives you certain information. Now I'm, we I'm do not know with any of you on this. Like it seems like you're pushing right. the agenda of you know anti kind of anatomical, which I'm with you on. Like you know, Gary okay. Carlton was okay. on the show with my team. So what does it okay. do then? Like if it's about process, like let's talk more about that because I feel like that's what people okay. are interested in. Is is its role in the fight flight, like what makes it plump or not plump, as you say, like what's its, what's its role? So what I think the psoas is messaging is whether, I mean, on a very simple way, is, am I safe? Am I not safe? And mm-hmm. safety is not external, it's internal, right? Uh, so 
the internal sensory system. So it's about the deep proprioception of the organism, specifically skeletal. So I think it's very intimate with your bones. So when a person doesn't sense themselves in their bones, doesn't feel the resonance or frequency in the bone, doesn't feel landed or what we call grounded, um, then your psoas is actually informing you that you're not safe because it's very primal. It's part of the reptilian brain. And so it's informing us about uh, locating just like an animal. Like if you're, can't, if you're disorganized as an animal, you'll be eaten. It's on that level. So it's very primal and, and it doesn't, it, you can't control it through the mental conceptual uh, framework of, you know, controlling your quad, you know, you can't, you can't do it that way. So, so in understanding that it's informing us, it also informs us about uh, neurological coherency. So how do all this, what we have defined as all these different nervous systems, how do they work in orchestration? You know, how does the enteric brain work with the, the heart field uh, and, and works with the central nervous system and works with the peripheral sensory system and works with the, what we, the autonomic nervous system? So it's telling us a lot about fight or flight and freeze, and, but it's also telling us about rest, digest, and repair. So the more nourished you are, the, the healthier you are. And it doesn't message anything. It has nothing to say when, when you're safe, and, and, but safe internally. In other words, when you can locate and know where you are in space and time, when you have good proprioception, then, then you will, um, you're so resistant. And then the other piece that happens is our speed of life and the things that we do can dry the core out. We spend a lot of time creating density in the core, overstabilizing the core. And that's why I go off on these tangents, because it's, it's actually the languaging that encourage us to do that. But mm. if we understood that so as is actually expressive, we would do different things to support a healthy core. So core steel, core of core tension, core support is actually using that old model of shoring up the column. Whereas I'm suggesting that we're more like a caterpillar or a living river, the spine is, and that it's actually this lush territory that we want to nourish through rest, through micro-movement, through the turning towards our kinesthetic and developing the kinesthetic awareness that helps us uh, remember or, or hear the messages from inside that are coming through us so we don't ignore them or override them, things like that. So are these, when you say, you know, you have workshops and you work with the psoas, is this what you're talking about? You're doing interoceptive work, you're doing sort of deep rest, uh, micro movements. Is this the sort of toolkit you're, you're working with with the psoas? I am. Those are all great things. And then I'm increasing proprioception. So I'm getting people in their bones. I'm articulating joints because we know that the joint has the proprioceptor that not only tells us range of motion, but tells us location. And when you have certain joints specifically, like the ankle, the ankle is where we shift from the vertical to the horizontal. So that proprioceptor for many people is not turned on, so to speak, or not really connected and the moment it is they start to feel themselves and their psoas so-called relaxes 
So in terms of, can someone feel the psoas? I mean, I've heard you say two different things about this now. So it's, I've heard you on the one hand say it's a kind of unconscious muscle that we can't control, but is it something? Well, you can sense it. You can sense it. Yeah. But it's subtle. It's like, it's like, you know, can you sense Mm. a cloud? You you can, but it's subtle, right? You know, you don't go around. But of course, I know dancers, some dancers have steel rods for psoas. They're like a cable. That's so we're talking about sensory. I mean, you can touch it. You can go behind all the organs and poke it. Um, so you can literally locate it. But that gets a reaction because it's a, uh, it is a primal tissue. So it's mm. like exactly like a caterpillar. If you poke the psoas, it will curl. You'll get a reaction out of it. Mm. Um, I've done various exercises of trying to identify the psoas or, you know, dragging the legs up uh, and then kind of, you know, deep body work like rumping where people have said they've been working directly on the psoas, I mean, are these things you uh, support or you think this is not a good idea because of this reactivity you talked about? I think it's a poor idea. I don't think we can fix another human being. And when, you know, I watched when that became, and I'm old enough to have watched that all develop and and the idea of restructuring the human being. And I, I understand I've had, in fact, there's two hours of, you know, Tom Myers and I hashing out the, um, uh, manipulation, not manipulation conversation on my website. But, um, but I will say that I think it behooves people to recognize that you don't need fixing. Uh, you don't need correcting. You need connection. And the connection to core is a, is a development of uh, what's called self-actualization. There's a beautiful uh, workout of Denmark, Elizabeth Marcher's work, and when I think years ago, and I don't know if I came to this and then found her work or I heard it from her work, is, you know, the psoas is like the, if, if you think of all developmental phases of a, of a young child, they're developing and, and it's coordinated with their um, emotional development. So when we crawl in a way, it's a form of, uh, of articulation and of separation and of recognizing that I'm different from my mother, you know, and, and so psoas is about full actualization. So someone can't fix your psoas, but what you can do is hear its message, and then you know what's needed. So, for example, a lot of people who have tight psoas actually have disruption in their pelvis. So they might have torn ligaments, they might have uh, hypermobility, they might have, you know, cracked their bone or broken their coccyx, or they may have been kicked in the butt, or they may have been abused, or they may have, and that is what the psoas is messaging, Mm. is that they are not internally coherent or safe. That has been disrupted. I heard you say before, don't shoot the messenger. So it's like, that's right. So us is tired. It's like telling you like, Hey, maybe you don't feel safe. Maybe something's going on in your life. Maybe there's a a problem here, you know, and it's, it's just sort of just try and work directly on that. It's to work on a symptom and not the cause. Is that, is that kind of where you're coming from with that? Well, kind of, I mean, constructive rest is a powerful, you know, place to begin because getting into constructive rest does help you land and locate. And so for example, what I tell people, for example, when you're in constructive rest and you really relax there, you sense your bones, you feel very grounded, very, you know, coherent. And you roll over and you get up and you start walking and that tightness all comes back. Then you know you have a disruption in your proprioception. 
you know that there's a ligament torn or overstretched or injured, when a joint that's injured, and so is it in telling us about that. But if you do what I did, which was I went into constructive, I had both, but I was in constructive rest, and I didn't feel at peace. I felt my fear. I felt my nervous system. I felt how frayed and, or more, you know, how how disrupted my nervous system was, how sympathetic my responses were. Then we're looking at the nourishment piece, the nourishing the kidneys, nourishing the tissue, nourishing, and the hydration of connective tissue through those micro movements is, is entering that fluid world. And the fluid world is pre-nervous system. So it's a delicious, you know, Emily Conrad's work, mm. a continuum. A beautiful, she and I, you know, I had the opportunity to work with her both as her as my mentor, but also um, we co-taught. And, you know, this idea of nourishing tissue allows, it's kind of like going back to the idea of a plant or a tree. What nourishes it to become its fully size and full expression is the elements of life. And so we go back to those elements of life. Mm. I mean, is, is constructive rest something you recommend for people? I mean, that's kind of one... I've Absolutely. got a lot from, you know, from Alexander Technique and Feldenkrais, there's different systems that use it, as you say, maybe going back yeah. to God. I mean, maybe- and both of those are very proprioceptive. Yeah. They both, yeah. Alexander and Feldenkrais both really focused on proprioception. And so I agree, you know, proprioception is the key to a healthy psoas. It's is good it- proprioception. I was just with uh, Julie Martin, who's a well-known yoga teacher, and you know, there's a sort of re- quiet revolution happening in yoga where people have gone from stretching to feeling, and there's a lot more of a somatic approach now where people are lying on the floor and feeling into these small movements and working with proprioception rather than just pulling on things, and it's it's a kind of bit of a revelation in the yoga world, and I've been like, well. Yeah, well done for catching up, guys. You know, <laughs> nearly hundred years behind the somatics world. But uh, round of applause. But um, you know, I was happy to see that catching on in the yoga world now. And it's not just Julie. There's Gary Carter and all sorts of other people who are working that way. Right, right. So somat, so the somatic world. Um, you know, the sensory system, the deep proprioception, um, helps us find for example, in yoga, helps us locate. So, so the location isn't about just putting, putting the body into a asana and hoping you find it. It's actually the relationship of locating from the center. So if we think about we're a spine-based organism, we come from the spine out to find our arms and legs, then we're never torquing the pelvis, which then doesn't get the psoas involved. So it's not about pulling on the psoas. It's about locating in our bones, and that frees the psoas to not be involved. It's really no different than the way we sit in cars. Um, and, of course, here in the States, people drive a lot more than in Europe. But, but how our car seat is designed, the chairs that we sit on, the ergonomics is a big part of psoas. Because if you're sitting in a car and the seat is tipped back and you're falling, psoas is part of the falling response. So, you know, if I fall backwards, I roll. If I fall forwards, I roll. But if I'm suspended in a fall and Mm. I'm not actually falling and I'm engaging this tissue all the time I'm driving. So then I get out and I'm stressed in my back, you know. Yeah. So so in terms of what's leading to kind of the psoas issues we see then, so it's you mentioned the general speed of life, the stress of life. 
all the ex-sitting, not very much moving. I mean, w- what else is involved birth. in some of these issues? Birth. Birth is a big piece. Um, uh, the, uh, the, what I think of as the industrial birth complex mm-hmm. is an is, is a industrialized idea of birth. So the baby follows the mother's stoas down through the birth canal if it gets to go through the birth canal. And the trauma that is showing up in people through their birth experience is part of why we come in depleted in the first place and why more and more uh, human beings are being born in the startle response, both through the Doppler, through the vibrational field. So is this very responsive. So as a living organism, you are responsive. Every cell is responsive. So it's not just so as it's the whole organism is responsive and so as is the messenger of that. Um, so I, I'm not trying to put too much on so as it's just that it's, it's more about being than it is about doing. Mm. So basically you don't use your psoas for any being, you know, doing activities. It's not something you do. It's just being you're, you're, you're in a, you know, you're just a being and the beingness of you is about how you're responding to the world and, and how you receive information and how you communicate information. So it's kind of a call and response, us to the earth. And the more we're disconnected from the earth, I think the more we see this deep level of, of incoherency in the organism. And I'm actually not too uh, big on the trauma piece of it because I really believe if you restrict every bit of trauma and uh, defense from a human organism, it's not a good thing. It's actually that the organism needs nourishment because living systems know how to respond when given the right nourishment. Mm. And so Mm. that can be different for each person. But so I'm really looking at the nourishment piece rather than trying to, again, fix the psoas. And that allows the whole system to blossom. And then so as is, you know, no longer giving those messages of low back pain. You know, low back pain has a lot to do with rigidity and defenses, not just and ergonomics and how much people sit, but it's also a, a strategy for survival that may have started much earlier with a with a living fetus, with the with both trauma in the womb and birth trauma. So I teach with Anna Revolve with Dutch and brings womb to world, the journey that shapes our life and how birth shapes us. And then I work with this these primal responses called fetal curl and warding off. And by playing with those responses, and I talk about them in my new book, Stalking Wild Soas, Embodying Your Core Intelligence, and they're in core awareness as well. Um, When we begin to recognize that what we're looking at is someone who's not, you don't have to change the structure, you have to support the organism, then we start to see how these expressions or what we have to call gestures are meaningful to us. We see the person curled over as actually returning so that they can refine themselves, they can relocate. And we find the person who's warding off as in a startle response, a kind of, that's an adaptation that needs to complete itself. So we're looking at how do I complete these expressions? And I spend time in my workshops showing how these are very powerful. They, they affect your nervous system. They change it. They allow it to return to a parasympathetic state. 
it's sort of less sort of there's a view isn't there that people say things like um, your trauma is stored in your psoas and it sounds like you're not so much supporting that view and you know systems like tre which are uh, supposed to be releasing the trauma in in the psoas well I, I, I know David. Uh, David came to me before he developed his work and talked to me about so on. So, and I've talked with the, David years ago, and I think what he's offering is a very powerful medicine for people who are first responders, people who are in a war zone, uh, you know, and, and people who their trauma is not theirs. In other words, if I'm a first responder and I'm seeing trauma of other people's lives every single day, mm. how do I digest that when I come home at night? How do I wake up and go back into work the next day? Where I disagree with him, and he knows it, is that the average person, and certainly a yoga class, does not need trauma release work. First of all, nobody goes through a trauma response with strangers. Nobody gives birth as mammals around a, a group of people with license and, you know, we don't make love on the freeway. You know, there's just, it doesn't, I mean, you can, but it's, you know, it's certainly not possible. Frown upon this. Yeah. <laughs> Hard to focus, you know? Hard to <laughs> be open, I, I, be actually, I mean, I actually get what you're saying that when we're involved in <laughs> Like, I don't want people around when I'm taking a shit either. Like, uh, you know, like when I'm involved in sort of making love or, you know, any biological process like that, being surrounded by strangers and bright lights doesn't help. Yeah, it's really simple, actually, what I'm talking about. You know, it's not very out there. It's just really practical, common sense. <laughs> Okay, and uh, what, is there any particular areas of your work that you're passionate about that you want to you want to talk about? Is there sort of particular aspects you haven't <laughs> covered that you think, wow, this is really juicy? I mean, other than full body orgasm, which we have to come back to, obviously. Okay, um, well, I, I am passionate about changing the language, and that's what you mm. were saying. You thought I was being kind of you know fighting you on it, and I'm not. I'm just passionate on on how much I believe that the languaging for those of us who are therapists who are educators, who are teachers, who are working with people, we're, we're the place that can begin to change this paradigm. And there's so much hope in the paradigm. You know, if I come and I can't, you know, people come to me and they say, do you think my psoas can change? Do you think like I can heal my you know, low back or whatever? And I say, you know, are you still breathing? You know, <laughs> is your blood still? Because cells are constantly changing. So therefore, um, change is inevitable, you know? In other words, as a living process, uh, we are self-healing, self-organizing, mm. self-referencing in relationship to the earth. So when we when we allow the earth to inform us, when we become grounded. So I think this whole idea of re-entering this conversation is part of the decolonization of the mechanistic world. You know, and I can say that I'm gonna, you know, I. I believe that we're, the industrial revolution is over and we're on to the information age. And so we have to recognize that we're processing, we're recognizing things in a different way. But part of what we're working with is our disconnect, our disassociation from the earth. So I think that's a big piece. And that when we land, when we land and locate and really sense ourselves here, that is the somatic you know, embodiment piece. Then, then the organism begins to find very creative, very resilient ways of, of uh, living and finding 
solutions and interacting and the hostilities and the reaction, all of that is basically we live in a very sympathetic culture. So I think it behooves us all to participate in changing the language of body to, to look for ways to see that we are part of, we are the earth, we are the environment. We are yeah. a force of nature. I find myself, there's something sort of sad and exhausted in me today. And I was just in the center of town, kind of rushing back to do this interview. And it's something I had to take care of in the center of town. And there was something about the sort of fast, concrete life of disconnected from the earth. Like literally, you know, I'm not touching the earth. There's this layer of concrete and there's this speed and the center of town is nearly all shops. We just take that for granted. The center of a city is a consumer area. And there was something about rushing through the area of town at this kind of speed of life to get up the hill. To, and I just, just something in me just feels exhausted and sad by it all. And it's no surprise to me that the body freaks out in different ways when presented with these, these huge disconnects, like being surrounded by strangers, you know? And then there's the little relaxing when I come back home and, you know, my wife is wake works nights, kind of opens the door and she's like, oh, hi, welcome back. Oh, you got a call. Okay, I'll get off the internet. Just need a cup of tea. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, a little bit of community, a little bit of homecoming. And there's, there's something in this at the moment for me, which I'm, I'm feeling the tremendous kind of sadness of. Is this making any sense to you? Absolutely, Mark. And, you know, I feel like there is a global soul. Mm. In other words, we are a species and we are one species among many species. So not only is there a disconnect, um, you know, calling the animals to console, you know, we don't recognize our animal nature and we don't understand that we're one species and, and we don't connect with other species of all different beings that are, are living and responding to our behavior. And so there is a very uh, disassociative event going on. So you could say the human organism is deeply traumatized through, through our historical stories, through our cultural stories, through the trauma we've all endured that is still flowing through ourselves and our molecular beings. So, yeah, I, <clears throat> I think it's your, your response is healthy and normal. Yeah, there's something about feeling in that environment, which is like, ouch. Ah, okay, well, I'm looking at your website here. There's lots of good things on it. If people have heard a video play a couple of times, that was from your website. There's a nice little video on there. And um, you've got this new book, Stalking Wild Soas, which is there, embodying your core intention. How many buzzwords can you fit in there, Liz? You've got embodying, core, wild. This is like a buzzword bingo right now. It is. That's where I said I've been talking about stalking wild psoas for years. The first place I ever taught stalking wild psoas was New York City. And the reason I went there to teach this workshop was I, I knew that people in New York, <clears throat> one, loved other people because you wouldn't live in New York if you didn't like people because there's not much anything else. Than <laughs> Good theory. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's one. You know, you have to like other people that really actually hang out there. And two, people like to play. And mm -hmm. there's a certain freedom there, you know, somebody runs down the street, you know, swearing, nobody, you know, it doesn't ruffle anybody's feathers, you know, they're just all like, okay, whatever. Um, and so I brought Stalking Wild there because I wanted to start having a dialogue around the um, undomesticating the psoas, 
undomesticating our human responses. We're terrified of the wild. And if you look up the word wild, you know, it's all about losing control and being crazy. And, you know, and people have that deeply embedded. We have been, well, our minds are colonized, I will say. And, and so when you start to work with this on a deep somatic level, you recognize the fears that are deeply embedded in us not to be wild, uh, not to feel anything of nature, not to feel connected to earth. Earth is dirty, you know, it's bad. So that takes us right to orgasms, right? I mean, you know, um, see, so there's all this stuff that's right there. And the other end of it is, okay, self-expression, yes, we can do whatever we want, but that's still part of the story. It's not the animal nature. And so how do we find that? Uh, wildness, that is actually what I think of as creativity, is innovation, the innovating organism. As far as getting the words right, I was really trying to hone <laughs> my message. And it wasn't buzzwords to me. Those are words I've been using for years. And now the timing is right. Stalking. The first time I, mean, I actually did a very stalking sex, wild. Sexy word. What, stalking. I mean, that's... Uh... You know, if you're hunting an animal, you're stalking it. So is, is the idea well, here I, of looking for something mysterious? It's a very sexy way you yes. put it. Stalking wild yes, psoas. And at the moment, it's, 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 it's not a, it's a, you know, very sexy title for a book about psoas muscle. Yeah. Well, it's not a muscle. It's a messenger. <laughs> and, and it's a wild being. Okay. So I, the first time I did it was in London. I was at, I was the keynote speaker for the Bow International Bowen Conference, was, mm. and I was shared my keynote speaking with Michelle O'Donnell. And uh, I, I have to say, people didn't know what to think because they thought I was going to talk about this muscle. And I brought this whole, you know, visual and story about rediscovering ourselves as living organisms. And people were like, ah, you know, and that was in 2010. Um, There's another so I've been talking about it a long time. So this is a culmination of my my work, I would say. Okay. Well, everyone else is catching up on the words. Open. And there's another book in here, Mother Maiden Crone, and the picture looks like the top of a stocking with a garter belt attached. The pleasure playlist, it says. Tell us about that. Yes, that 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 is three of us on the crone, and it's we put the book together for women. Uh, with a maiden, with a mother, and the crone, with the idea of a pleasure playlist. And when we did it, you know, play, people had playlists, right? Mm -hmm. You know, right. what are your favorite songs? And so we decided what were the favorite ways to feel sensual, to feel pleasure, because sex is often not actually connected to the sensory system, to, to stalking or tracking our own pleasure. It's based on scintillation. So when you go into this sexuality for men and women, we're looking at where is pleasure? A pleasure can be the, the sense of a strawberry, a ripe, sun-ripened, lush strawberry on the tip of your tongue. You know, that, that is pleasure that is part of that we have shut down in ourselves because of the whole cultural story. So I kind of, I guess the best way to say this is I've gone underneath the cultural historical into the primal understanding of psoas and understanding the expression of a full body orgasm is a wave that flows all the way through 
your central channel or your column, but I'd like to think of it as more as your living river or your axis or your primitive street or coming up with some new languaging around the very core of your being. Mm. And when that wave is there, we feel pleasure from the tips of our toes to the tip of our tongue, you know, from the top of our head to the bottom of our tail. You know, it's a full sensory experience. Okay. And this is all on coreawareness.com, a nice website with different books and articles and different things on there. And also people that practice in your kind of line of work from around the world, right? They're on, they're on there too. There's a community there. There's podcasts that I've done with various uh, professionals in, in different avenues that we weave the relationship of so as to that particular interest. So you'll find a lot of great, there is a conversation with Yelp Vanderbilt, for example, or Tom <laughs> Myers, or there are all kinds of people um, from around the world and weaving so as into so we're not looking at this isolated thing but how it expresses itself we, you know through the eyes through uh pelvic uh the, the the coherent pelvis the ability for the pelvis to float in gravity rather than be held in some superficial idea posture yeah so lots of lots of free lots of free education there Lots of good stuff there, videos and all sorts. Okay, so do you have a, a parting message about the body for all our listeners, Liz? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I think this was great, and I thank you so much for for uh, inviting me. Thank you for your time. Much appreciated. Some ways to uh, get more, to give back, and to get more involved now. So um, the biggest request I have would be to share the podcast with your friends, people that you think would really enjoy it, um, email it to them, put it on your social media, tell them about it, old school. Um, Yeah, really appreciate that. Equally, if you want to support us financially, you can go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash embodiment podcast and give us a dollar an episode. And I'd say they're well worth a dollar. So um, that's less than a pound if you're in UK-ish. So yeah, please go there. Um, On the embodyfacilitated.com website is where this is hosted. If you're most people, I think, listen to for iTunes. Um, iTunes, we'd certainly appreciate a review. The way iTunes works means that a review means more people will find it. iTunes regards it as more important for searches. So even a couple of sentences review really does help as a little thank you to us. And if you want to go to embodyfacilitator.com, you can see the actual you know links to the sites. There's comments on there. Um, the Facebook group tends to be where people discuss things. So if you go to uh, put in the Embodiment Podcast into Facebook, there's a page which is relatively quiet and a group which does have some discussion on. So um, yeah, I will reply to things personally there. So um, also on embodiedfacilitator.com website, uh, there's all sorts of freebies there. There's videos, there's free eBooks, there's eBooks you can buy. And of course, is our newsletter list. If you want to stay in touch and learn about things like the Embodied Facilitator course and our, um, you know, our next Embodied Yoga Principles teacher training, then go to that website and you'll see a little pop up, and you can um, get the newsletter through there. Okay, so I think they're the main ones. Tell your friends, pay us some money on Patreon, give us a review on iTunes, uh, send us your email if you want to be on the newsletter list, and get involved on the Facebook. There, Oof, bit long. Uh, pick whatever you like that works for you. Till next time, welcome home to the body.